Hello there, welcome to True Crap Pop. It's part of the True Cult Pop podcast. It's a little spin-off show where myself, Mr. Stephen Hill, and him, the wise old feather himself, coming down from the mountains. Yeah. Sam Slight, there he is. Sam, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. I'd like to be close to you, you grey priest. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much for saying such a lovely thing to say. And I meant every and word. And he did. I oh, know he did. He meant it. He didn't. He didn't have a tongue in his cheek. You, you got something in your cheek. Well, it's things because you got you, something in my chewing? cheek. I've just had a, a just had a bit of risotto for lunch. Risotto for yeah. lunch. Yeah, reheated risotto from last night. I make a make a batch amount that I can take to work with me. Who are you, Economical. Margaret Thatcher? Who do you think you are? Uh, Eating for, so for Tony Blair, given the era we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, mate. You get out of your teeth and I'll continue with the intro to this podcast, which is where we search for the worst album ever made, ever. We have a massive list of records. We're going through them one by one, randomly, giving each one of them its own podcast and deciding whether it is the worst album ever made. Not picked by us, not just because we're like, oh God, I hate that. I hate that new Blink-182 album, which I'm going <laughs> to slag off in a couple of weeks, even though I have... I've absolutely no intention of listening to it, Sam. You do I could do the review me. now. I'm not going to listen to it. Well, it's rubbish, isn't it? It's yeah, rubbish. I think uh, Mark Hoppus is really straining to try and kind of uh, find his voice again. Yeah, Mark Hoppus is going, Oh, and then I stuck my willy in a big bit of poo. And then Tom DeLonge sounded like um, an even more kind of uh, narcoleptic version of Tim Armstrong. Oh yeah, I saw a cow in the field and I put my bum in his face and then my mom came and picked me up and I said, fuck you mom, I'm gonna do a piss in your mouth and shit in my pants, I'm in my 50s. I think aliens are real. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what it is. Oh, that is no, what no, it Travis, is. Travis Barker will have been quite good on it. And that's, it will be that's quite good on drums. Album for you. That is Blink-182. Thank God Blink-182, a cultural phenomenon that they are. A very, very important <laughs> cultural footprint they have left mm. um, throughout music. Anyway, we're not actually talking about Blink-182. Like I say, if it was albums that were purely down to Sam and I thinking they were shit, then yeah, we would be talking about the new Blink-182, which neither of us have heard, but we still hate. But it isn't, <laughs> isn't that? It's albums based on their reputation, your suggestion, their critical standing, fan reaction, or something something bizarre, something just very, very odd and unusual that has led it to have some kind of reputation, which means it needs to be delved into and for us to see whereabouts it sits in the pantheon of poorly received records over the years. This is episode number eight we will be doing this week on the show, concentrating on Kevin Rowland, My Beauty, the second solo album from the former and now current Dexys frontman Kevin Rowland, released on the 21st of September 1999. Before we get into that record and start telling you all about it, I will run down the 20 worst records that we have in our list of... 80, uh, we are, 90? We have got 90 at the moment. This will be 91. 91. Bloody Good age. Hell, that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not going to do all 91. One At one point, I think when we get to 100, we'll do 100 I'll yeah. run down all 100. Yeah. Just so you know. But anyway, we have 90, about to be 91 in the list. The 20 worst ones in descending order are this. At number 20, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the original soundtrack 
to the hilarious movie of the same name. The Rebirth by Little Wayne. Hard to Swallow by Vanilla Ice. Eogan Quigs. Eogan Quig. Actually, mm. he's a boxer now. Is he? You know, he's a boxer, Eogan. Well, I never knew that. Mm. I never knew that. He is. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, I never what? knew that. I never knew that. Um, yeah, he is. He's a boxer now, apparently. So oh. we shouldn't keep mispronouncing his name wrong deliberately. Uh, we... or come on and bop me on the nose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we. You you've called him Eogan, haven't you? I don't think I've ever uttered his name out loud in my life, to be honest, mate. But yeah. Are you scared like Candyman? Are you yeah. scared he's going to come and appear well, and start singing? Well, KSI, so... Yeah, he's going to start, yeah, start singing in your ear. Um, yeah, he's a boxer now. I was speaking to my mate, my mate went, yeah, he's a boxer. Do you know that? That's you know, probably why his pop career didn't work, because he went and became a boxer. And <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Correlation. No, 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 definitely. He always wanted to be a boxer and he mm. just was like, oh, they forced me to go on X Factor. No. <laughs> anyway, Eogan anyway. Quigg, the boxer. Testified by <laughs> Phil Collins. Graveyard Classics Volume 2 by Six Feet Under. Blood, Sweat and Towers by the Towers of London. Cut the Crap by The Clash. Angelic to the Core by Corey Feldman. Philosophy of the World by The Shags. Asshole by Gene Simmons. Total Zanarchy by Little Zan. Paula by Robin Thicke. That is so high. Paula by because it's such a bad album and it is so high. I mean, I say so high, it's in the top, like you know, it's in the top 10. Yeah, and so it's pretty well. I like, think it's well, yeah, if anything, maybe a bit low. Yeah, high, that's what I mean. Whichever yeah. way around it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. whichever way around it. But, it's just such a bad album, and you just think, God, we've actually managed to find worse albums than that. And it's terrible. Yeah, record. It's been a long Methods of Mayhem's Methods of Mayhem is worse. Double Wide by Uncle Cracker, that's also worse. Mm-hmm. Bad Blood. By Blood and the Dance Floor, that's worse. I'm Not a Fan, But the Kids Like It by Broken Side is worse. Concerto and True Minor by the True Symphonic Orchestra is number three. Crazy Frogs, Crazy Hits is number two. And still currently number one, where I suspect it will end the day as well. We shall My see. Teenage Dream ended by Farah Abraham. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We are here to talk about My Beauty by Kevin Rowland. As I said, his second solo album released on the 21st of September 1999 we're going to party like it's 1999 so let's get one thing straight immediately and I'll ask your opinion on this in a second Sam but I'm going to tell you the facts before I ask you the opinion Dexys Midnight Runners the band Kevin Rowland made his name with mm-hmm. are not a one hit wonder band For, right? no, they're definitely not. not definitely not you might only know come on Eileen you little fucking slug cretin you you scummy ignorant cretin just because you're a fucking ignorant piece of shit that doesn't know anything the facts don't lie come on eileen was it was a number one hit yeah in the yeah. uk yeah. it's their second number one hit mm. in the uk right so they'd had a oh, number one hit already so you can't go number one hit wonder when you've already had a number one and that's two years before they've had another six top 20 hits in the uk in the period slightly before and slightly after that song. They've had four top 10 albums here in the UK. And look, I get it. If you're from another country, if you're here listening to us and you're in Australia or Canada or the United States of America or Norway, you might go, yeah, well, they're not, they're a one-hit wonder in my country. Maybe they are, right? But we're a British music podcast talking Mm. about British music in Britain. Not just talking about British music, but talking about music in Britain. And... If you're from our territory and you call Dexy's Midnight Runners 
a one-hit wonder, forget it. I'm going <laughs> to get you in a headlock and duff you up like Eogan Quigg wants to duff me up for saying his name wrong. I wouldn't let Am you. I wrong in saying that, Sam? Uh, you are not. absolutely not wrong. No, well, there we go. Why even ask if you're just going to answer yourself? No, you're not wrong at all. <laughs> I mean, Gino, uh, you know, absolutely massive song from the first album, the yeah. excellent Searching for the Young Soul Rebels album, mm-hmm. I'll have you know. Um, yep. One of the, uh, in the kind of prep for this, gone back and listened to a lot of Dexies uh, that I haven't listened to for a very long time, and I forgot just how ubiquitous Gino is in British culture, alongside Come On Eileen, because it's on basically every like Marks and Spencer's advert of the last <coughs> decade and a half. But yeah, absolutely fucking mm-hmm. banger. They've got so many great tunes. Uh, my favourite has always been Jackie Wilson Said, because... My relationship with Dexys starts with, I think it was my eighth birthday. My mum was sick of watching kids' films, so she bought me both series of The Young Ones, and I remember seeing them on that, and in amongst Motorhead and The Damned and Madness, they were one that really stood out to me, and I was like, oh, that's a good tune. And I think, how long has it been since we last did one of these? It's been a while, but probably been a few last- weeks, yeah. For the last three weeks, I've basically just been walking around the flat going... Every single... Fucking great band. Not a one-hit wonder. No, not at all. Mad Madness to say that they're a one-hit wonder. Madness also not a one-hit wonder. But insane thing to say, I really liked them when I was a kid. My dad actually, when I was about four, my dad made me a mixtape for the car of all the songs that I like. And it had three Dexys Midnight Runner songs on it. None of them were Come On Eileen. None of them were Come On Eileen. It would have probably been... It would have been Gino. It yeah. would. It was Jackie Wilson said, yeah. and it was uh, straight from the start. Uh, let's let's get this straight from the start. I should say. Um, do you know that song? You keep saying. So what oh, yes. did I say? That one. Fucking banger. Just Absolute laughing. banger. So I love Dexys. I'm not very happy with their characterization as a one-hit wonder band. There's certainly days. no Spin Doctors. Don't like. They're not. No, and even Spin Doctors. Uh, I would argue that Jimmy Olsen's blues, and particularly <laughs> Little Miss Can't Be Wrong, are uh, hits at the very least. But sure. not hits the same as like, no. you know, they didn't have multiple albums that made the top 10. Like Dexys are, were a big, were a big band. We're a big band for a mm. while. So, you know, and, and they are great, aren't they? They're they just, even, even if they weren't famous, those songs, and they are, you just don't know about them. You idiot. You idiot who just listens to absolute 80s and hears that one <laughs> song and goes, oh, that must be their only song. Yeah. Their albums are fucking great. And Kevin Rowland is it's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. A, a fantastic uh, personality as well as front person. I just think um, able to communicate a hell of a lot of emotion in what's, let's be honest, a, a kind of fairly limited vocal range, but used to great effect. I think that's one of his greatest boons as a, as a performer. Yeah, I mean, look, the thing about Dexys is, let's start this podcast from around 1987 when they were splitting up, right? Mm. So by then you've got sort of Mark III of the band. And I think one of the one of the cool things about Dexys Midnight Runners and really more one of the cool things about Kevin Rowland is that you basically get a brand new version of the band, personnel and all, mm. with each album. So... Kevin Rowland tended to just sack everyone and get a brand new band in and call them Dexys Midnight Runners and make an entirely different album. So those first three albums, those 80s albums, the albums that they're probably best, most well known for, mm-hmm. 
they're all really different and they're all really good and i think if we ignore the first two like two uria and um the young soul Searching rebels, young if, we, soul rebels yeah. if you if you ignore those two which i think are generally considered you know classics were mm-hmm. at the time really big hits at the time sold a lot had plenty of hit singles on 1985's don't stand me down was very very badly reviewed mm. And it's an ironic thing, I think. I think there's a lot of parallels with what we're going to talk about and this particular record because it was pretty badly received at the time and the reviews bemoaned the look of Dexy's Midnight Runner. So they said they looked like double glazing salesmen on the front cover. They went from this kind of folky, almost like piratey sort of... Kind of like street urchin beatniks almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and certainly to, in the performance of the young ones, they are they are dressed as as homeless people basically, but with their kind of yeah folk instruments like Celtic folk instruments. Yeah, yeah, and they changed that to look like craftwork basically. They sort of well, not even craftwork, like more like level forty two. They started wearing oh, your suits. Yeah, I love, I love level <laughs> forty two, and they started wearing suits and. Yeah. People were going, oh, look at them. Look at the way they look. Like, they look far, oh, they look too boring, which is quite ironic considering mm. what we're about to talk about. That people saying they're too boring. Just yes. you wait, lads. Just you wait. It didn't help the, the cause of that record as well, I think, that Kevin Rowland decided that Dexter's Midnight Runners were going to stop releasing singles. He said mm. they were going to be like Led Zeppelin. Steady, Kevin. Sure. Okay. Steady. The album at this point. I think it was reissued about 10 years later and it came with retrospective reviews that were like, oh, we got this wrong. Mm. It's fucking, it's fucking brilliant. It's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a cult following and has been reappraised again. Maybe not the first time that I'm going to say that on this show. Although the melody maker at the time did call it quite the most challenging, absorbing, moving, uplifting, and ultimately triumphant album of the year. And I, kind of, I, I, I mean, 1985, I'm trying to think what else came out that year, but, regardless it's not a mad thing to say i think don't stand me down is is really good mm-hmm. right it, it's really good and really different and it's one of the those all of those first three dexies albums are fucking excellent yes. um but the tours were half full the label basically gave up on the band mm-hmm. and kevin Rowland, i think felt that he was being punished by the label for not continuing to make the thing that Dexy's Midnight Runners at that point were most known for and kind of capitalising on the success of, you know, particularly Come On Eileen. And so the band split and Dexy split up. And a year after they split, they split in 1987, as I mentioned, in 1988, he released his debut solo album, The Wanderer, Mm. which got decent enough reviews, but made no real commercial impact. So he quit music. I don't know mm. if you've ever heard that album before, the uh, yeah. the Wanderer Sam. I've I remember it coming it... out, but I've never heard. I've never actually heard it. So I gave it a cursory listen in in prep for this. Um, to be honest, I I think it, markedly weaker than the three Dexys albums that preceded it. I think it's um, <laughs> fine. I mean, weirdly, um, I just I don't really remember that much about it. Like I say, it was kind of a cursory listen. I'm sure there's a lot more beneath the surface that you could dig into, and I'm sure it's got its defenders out there because. Kevin Rowland is, you know, something of a cult figure, something of a, an icon. I don't think it's unfair mm-hmm. to say. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't give you a thorough review of it. Um, but you've not heard it at all? No, I don't think I did. I know there was uh, the single from it, 
was I'm looking at the chat listing now and I'm pretty sure I remember a single coming out but then I'm looking at the chat listing and I don't remember anything I don't remember I don't remember nothing is like setting a light bulb off and going in my head and going oh that so no I, I'm pretty sure I've never heard it mm. and I don't actually recognise any of the songs off it kind of retrospectively at this point either so no I don't think I've heard it no fair enough fair enough Worth so you reckon worth listening to or give it a swerve? Uh, I wouldn't say give it a swerve. Um, it's probably worth a listen, but probably only for kind of completionist purposes. I think you have to be really, really into Dexys and Kevin Rowland. And like, you know, I like Dexys, but I haven't listened to any of their post-Reformation material. So, yeah, mm. I probably won't be going back to it. Okay, well, we'll talk about their recent album that came out a couple of months ago, maybe a little bit towards the end, because we okay. were thinking about reviewing that on the normal show and... We decided against it, which will probably tell you kind of how I feel about it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, whilst all this was going on, towards the end of Dexys, Kevin Rowland was in the midst of a pretty dehabilitating drug addiction. Mm. Throughout all of Dexys Midnight Runner's career and before, I think, Kevin Rowland was something of a loose cannon. He had been arrested 13 times. During that period, he once attacked a man with a steel pipe. Cripes. I don't know if you knew about that. I never is... knew that. I, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never knew that. <laughs> that sounds like something from Double Dragon. <laughs> or Streets of Rage or something. Like... To his <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then he had a chicken off the floor. Yeah. And then lots of identical other men came along and it all took one punch to mm. knock down. 500 but... clowns in the same uniform, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great days. Uh, great days. I mean, that is... Hitting someone with a steel pipe is... That's that's quite violent, I would suggest. That's quite yes. a violent thing to do. I, I mean, I would imagine, you know, he he's not shied away from his uh, problems with addiction. I would, I would only hope it was some kind of um, ulterior influence as well as aggravation that would cause him to do that. But who knows? I mean, he is from Wolverhampton. And as, as a West Midlander myself, I can say that we're all terrible. <laughs> you're all like that aren't you all scum yeah absolutely yeah uh after the split of dexy's midnight runners roland became trapped with a cocaine addiction apparently he was taking four grams of coke a night doing four grams of coke a night for about a decade mm. that's, that's quite a lot, lot. yeah that's quite that's a lot. quite a lot he lost his house he, even tony iomi might have said mm, chill have, out have a think about that mate yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Mm. that is uh that is the first three hours of Oasis at Nebworth. That amount of coke, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he ended up losing his house, yeah. ended up living on the street, mm. begging, which is fucking mad when you think, like, the, he you were Dexys and come on, I mean, a, yeah. Legit pop star, and you end up being homeless. It's, it just goes to show. And again, you know, all this comes from a band that, you know, back in the early days of Dexys, I think around the time they were getting signed, they had drugs banned completely from any backstage area of the gigs they played because they believed that they were, and I quote Sam, and I quote, too hippie. No drugs. Drugs Dearing are for hippies. Me. Yeah. <laughs> you fucking squares. Like, I've, mm, yeah. Well, without wishing to uh, <laughs> you know, paraphrase your, your new favourite meme, I, I did not ever know that bit. I didn't know that <laughs> yeah. they had ever banned drugs from their shows. Uh, yeah, yeah did. Uh, quite an about turn yeah. then to see kind of how things panned out for uh, Kevin in the kind of intervening years. 
It's really yeah. obviously a tremendously sad story. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry it ever happened to him, but it it's really it's really really sad. It is really sad. And Kevin Rowland, <sighs> in the years that have gone since then, have sort of looked back on that period and has blamed his sort of descent into drugs and um, you know the the reasons for that happening. He said is a lot of it. He 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 thinks is down to guilt guilt that he felt due to his behavior mm. um towards friends and family and bandmates you know there, there's very famous stuff surrounding uh the early incarnation of the, the sort of mark one of dexies mm. where he has basically kind of in the year since admitted that he nicked a load of song ideas and has taken royalties and you know taken songwriting credits from other members of the band and um you know, he's sort of, he's he's obviously, I think when we get into the rest of the story, you can tell he's quite a sensitive person. And I think that might have been eating up at him and it sort of led him to a place where he was doing a lot of things that he probably wouldn't have done mm. eight, ten years beforehand. He was, like I say, four grams a night for around a decade. He said he was not doing too many drugs. He was hopelessly addicted, pretty grimy. You had to shout up to me to get in. The electric was wired up to bypass the meter, that kind of place. Um, so he's basically quit music. Hmm. He was homeless for a period and he was really, really struggling with a drug addiction. And then one day to try and get away from everything, he decided to drive out to the West Country to have a little break and on route he put a tape on and heard George Benson's version of the greatest love of all mm. obviously famously covered by well you know what I'm going to say Randy Watson from Coming to America not Whitney Houston <laughs> Randy Watson damn the boy can sing but he heard that song and he said I don't know what happened man it was highly unusual this is what he said to the Guardian because I'd never registered that song before. If anything, I thought it was corny, but I just burst into tears the first time I'd cried in years. And I think he sort of credits that moment with mm. attempting to sort of the starting the process of rehabilitating himself. Uh, he set up a meeting with Alan McGee of Creation Records. Creation Records, famously, you probably are aware of the roster of Creation Records, Back in those days, Sam. Oh, Oasis. Yes. yes I, Primal Scream. Yeah, great. All the, My Bloody all Valentine. The, the, well, I like them, but yeah. Jesus and Mary Chain. Never really listened to them. Slow Dive. Yeah, fair. Okay, good. Sugar. Yeah. Super Furry Animals. Yeah, so, you know, a mixed bag. It's and uh, Three Colours Red, of course. Who? Don't upset Gaz. He'll be listening to this. He'll get upset. Really, you yeah. don't know about Three Colours Red. Oh, get annoyed. I, He'll text you. Three Colours Red in my Game of Thrones. The more he talks about them, the less inclined I am to listen to them. <laughs> Just take that, Jones. You're uh, you're only you're only cutting your you're cutting your nose off to spite your face there. I'm afraid, mate. Because uh, I'm sure they are. But anyway, good, yeah. anyway, most of the bands I've mentioned there are quite boisterous, mm. upbeat, high energy indie rock bands of the 90s and Kevin Rowland is not really that but anyway Alan McGee was a fan of Dexter's Midnight Runners mm -hmm. and went to meet him Kevin Rowland played Alan McGee some demos of songs that he'd had for a few years that he'd been working on since about 1994 I believe this is now getting into sort of the late 90s 
And on the strength of those demos, Alan McGee signed what he thought was going to be Dexy's Midnight Runners. So Alan ah. McGee signed Dexy's Midnight Runners to Creation Records. Roland then said to him that he was unwilling to make a new Dexy's Midnight Runners album until he had made a solo album of covers. That's okay. something that he felt like he needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Roland had a bunch of covers that he wanted to do and took the lyrics to those songs, changed them to make them more personal to, to him, basically. And they were changed to, I mean, as we'll discuss in a bit, kind of reflect his journey, mm-hmm. where he'd been going, what he'd been suffering from, his guilt his drug addiction his depression those kind of things were were sort of heightened by him in the rewritten lyrics of the songs that he decided to cover not everyone was on board with this the original version was meant to have a cover of bruce springsteen's thunder road on it it was it was but it has been said that bruce springsteen didn't like the changed lyrics and decided that he wasn't going to allow him to do it this is some this is what has been said for years and years and years and years. So it's not on the album. Obviously, we have listened to a version with Thunder Road on. I'm assuming you listened to the same version as me, which had Thunder Road on. Yes, yeah. It's the 2020 yeah. release. It's also got a couple of instrumentals yeah. on the end. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ken Rowan, again, in his interview with The Guardian, said, that's another myth that Springsteen turned my version down. The truth is, nobody at Creation bothered to get to the boss in time. So basically... Ah. It didn't happen because nobody at Creation got kind of the clearance, so it just didn't go on the record. But for years and years and years, again, the myth surrounding this album has said that, you know, Bruce Springsteen said, oh, this is fucking rubbish. It's crap. Like, I don't want this on my, you know, my version of this, my song being on this rubbish record, right? And famously, That's apparently result, not the, true. Uh, well, as a result, famously, the British public did turn against him because of that, and he never sold another <laughs> record. Yeah, unfortunately not. We all love Kevin Rowland. Ken Rowland built a little cocoon around himself in the studio where he recorded the record. The uh, studio was, I don't actually know where it was recorded. I haven't got any information on where it was recorded, but in his studio where it was recorded. Yeah, scant information on the the story of this album, in in all honesty. Yeah. He built a little cocoon around himself, decorated it with clothes and photographs and things that triggered painful memories to bring out the feelings that he wanted to kind of in, have just, inspired by this just one. like ross robinson just like ross robinson i mean well, ross robinson yeah. was doing that already at this point yeah absolutely i mean that's clearly where he took inspiration um I yeah mean, i think we can hear it in the end yeah, result. He, he heard the concrete demos by fear factory that's yeah, probably yeah. what kevin Rowland was going for here as well said, that would make you cry fucking hell. <laughs> he did say that yeah <laughs> and so the album was all set to be released Alan McGee agreed to it. Before we get into it, what happened next? I think, obviously, what we really need to talk about here is the cover of this Mm. record. So, in 2000, Alan McGee was interviewed by the NME. And he said, of this record and of Kevin Rowland, he always said we were going after the middle-aged Robson Jerome market. He'd done some photographs of himself in a white t-shirt and a pair of black trousers and we were supposed to be doing an album of cover versions. We spent three years making the album. Then he presented me with an image of him in a dress. He never told me when he was making that album that he was presenting himself in a dress and stockings and makeup. That was the first time that I ever knew about it. 
So the cover of this album depicts Kevin Rowland in a black dress pulled up to reveal that he's wearing ladies' knickers and suspenders mm. and pulled down to reveal his nipples as he stands in a pink boudoir, essentially. Yes. Now, that, these days, isn't really that shocking. You wouldn't think. Although I have to say, the reaction to stuff like Sam Smith and Little Nas X suggests mm. that, to some people, it's still wouldn't be completely fine but the world appeared to lose its shit over a picture of the man from dexie's midnight runners who just over a decade ago was being told he was too boring for dressing in a suit Hmm. just wearing a dress and a pair of suspenders what's all that about Ooh, what's all that about i mean uh, that feels like it could be uh, kind of the subtitle for this entire episode because I really mm-hmm. obviously I don't want to spoil it before we get into our thoughts on the album but I, I still don't really understand what this is doing here to be honest Steve apart from this kind of weird I guess moral outrage that has surrounded the record and completely subsumed any of the the actual mm. critique surrounding it because all I can assume because I'm, I'm sure you'll get into this he got bottled at Reading Festival and did he get bottled at Glastonbury as well? Yeah Okay, so, you know, he's bottled on festival stages for going out and performing, um, you know, in, in a form of uh, of drag, I suppose, a form of drag. I mean, that just says to me that, well, Oasis has been king of the charts and that kind of latent misogyny and homophobia that uh, runs rampant within lad culture that's spawned from Brit culture was uh, basically just the downfall of Kevin Rowland at this time. And that I think that completely overshadows everything that actually lies within the album. Yeah, so I mean, you've definitely you jumped into yeah. Jumped sorry, into I have that. jumped ahead a little bit, but yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure how to answer it in terms of what's what's going on. But well, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is the basically like the laddiest time in the history of modern culture as we are aware of it. I would say. Yeah. I mean, you've got just before we go into the 2000s and all the you know the grot that happened in the 2000s as we're learning more and more and more and more about all the time we've. Recently, on recent podcasts, spoken about Russell Brand. We've spoken about Pete Doherty. We'll probably talk about Justin Timberlake at some point. Um, you also couple that with the late 90s, Lad Mags, TFI Friday, Britpop, New Metal. You have an aging 80s pop star who's not been around for a decade. And rather than wear the suit that he was wearing before or the dungarees, that he was wearing even before that mm. you've got him wearing a dress and it seemed to shock people and it seemed to just weird people out and i'm not really sure why that happened but it happened kevin Rowland said to the quietest <clears throat> when he was interviewed a couple of years ago can you believe it that people got some so worked up about what someone was wearing but they did mm. and even those people at creation records apparently didn't quite know what was going on there's a story that he tells about someone in the market department that creation records who sent him a bunch of material about cross-dressing and he said i was just like no i don't want to wear a wig i had sideburns on a male haircut i just wanted to wear a dress somebody else at the label thought it was about sexuality it may have been a bit but i remember having to write something saying it's not a gay thing it's not this it's not that it kind of defined it through people misrepresenting it because i'm not the kind of guy to go this is a statement and this means this it was all intuitive 
he also said uh, to the quietest we had the 80s and there was a lot of mixing stuff up i imagined it would have stuck but it didn't seem to stick by the 90s um it must have triggered something in them so it was a the 90s like everything particularly the late 90s because if you again I, I think when we took when i talk about the 90s i think there's a real big difference between the early 90s and the late 90s i think the nirvana cobain eddie vedder michael stipe dominated early 90s mm. full of sensitive young men who michael stipe is gay kurt cobain would wear dresses you had the rise of eddie Izzard was the biggest comedian at that during that period the late 90s it's liam gallagher mm. it's fred durst it's do you know what i mean it's 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 not the same thing it's a reaction to kind of almost an assertion of masculinity i guess uh it, it, not to the same kind of awful extent as we see now with your joe rogans and shite like that but uh yeah I guess it's a response to that. People who are fed up with their men expressing their feelings. I mean, God, fucking wank weirdos, aren't they? Fucking wankers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty wild. It was pretty wild that like, <coughs> that, that got that reaction. Mm. And I guess you could go, well, that's a kind of media invented thing. How would you know what it was? What people really felt like it, because you didn't have the internet and people couldn't kind of react in real time like they yeah, like yeah. they can do now. But I saw the real life, real world reaction to this because, as you mentioned, a month before the release of this album, it basically got buried. It was buried before it came out. Twenty eighth of August, nineteen ninety nine. Like I say, a month shy of the album being released, Kevin Rowland plays his first live gig on the main stage at the Reading Festival. And if you go back and look at those posters, he's not even on. He's not even on the poster, right? He's not actually on any of the posters. I think he was added to it quite late in the day. Okay. But you can't see him on any of the posters, right? He played a day on the Saturday, which was headlined. I'll give you the lineup. It's actually a pretty good lineup, right? Blur, Catatonia, Fun Loving Criminals, Divine Comedy, Pavement, Beth Orton, Sebado, The Far Side, Sleater Kinney, Atari Teenage Riot. It's quite a good day. Yeah, eclectic. Uh, some very, very solid uh, stuff in there. Were Atari, T Atari Teenage Riot doing their Brixton set? No, they weren't actually. This is before I saw them do that Brixton show, and uh, they played a normal set. I say normal. Oh. Normal oh, yeah. for it's them. Normal is them, yeah. But you look at it and you think, well, you've got so Atari Teenage Riot, who are, you know, essentially like anarchists. A horrible very, very, noise band, yeah. Yeah, and a very sort of left leaning anarchist band. You've mm. got Sleater Kinney, who mm -hmm. are, you know, uh, again, uh, uh, that kind of riot girl. Sort of thing. You have got the Far Side, who are I would again I would say quite socially conscious hip hop, who were absolutely brilliant that day. You got Sebado, who is you know former members of Dinosaur Junior, part of the I guess more right on mm -hmm. um, part of the, the the grunge movement. You got Beth Orton, who herself is a you know Lilith Fair female artist, who you know I'm. It, it, it's very doubtful she's going to be going like, fucking men in a dress, boo, right? <laughs> yes. You've got Pavement. He, you know, again, I just think it seemed like a, I don't know much about Pavement's actual 
politics or ideology, but they don't seem like the sort of band who would be sort of reactionary dickheads mm. in any way. The Divine Comedy, I mean, this album, arguably, you couldn't find a more apt comparative sort of stylistic musical bedfellow to what we're about to talk about than Absolutely. the Divine Comedy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. You've got the Fun Loving Criminals. Again, I mean, you know, Fun Loving Criminals might be the one where you go, oh, kind of like New York, you know, well, it's a fucking dude doing a fucking yeah. dress. Oh, what the fuck? But I don't <laughs> think Huey comes across like that on his Radio 6 show. So I think probably even that is not fair. Catatonia. Catatonia, yeah. you know, oh, again, like you just know. Damnation next, year, next week. It's not that Catatonia, oh, unfortunately. Oh, it's the other one, oh, yeah. And Blur. Blur, right? Who, you know... Oh, again I, I think seem like pretty mostly kind of pretty right on dude certainly Graham Coxon at the very very least definitely does and so there's not really a lot there I mean you, if you go to the next day and you've got the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Offspring and that's actually probably all even there that you go mm. like oh it's kind of like a bit more jockey do you know what I mean yeah uh, you might on the first day like Charlatans and Reef Space like you could go like are they going to the bucket hat lads would be out in force for them, but you would more think more so, more so. But yeah, even then, I, I I can't imagine it inspiring the level of ire that it clearly did. Yeah, it's really, really, really weird, and so yeah, I don't really know what happened that day. I really, really don't know, but something happened because I was, I was, I was there, and. He went on straight after Pavement and on before the Divine Comedy. So quite a high Pavement placement fit. then. Quite a high placement. And yeah. he was never meant to be, you know, he was billed as a, when, when you did see him on the poster, he was billed as a special guest. So he was billed right, below a okay. Tony Teenage Riot, right? So he's billed in the same way as Daphne and Celeste would be a mm. year later. Like at the bottom of the poster, but billed as special guest, right? Mm. Special guest Kevin Rowland. And he came on, no band, just him, in a white dress, makeup on, a chair that he danced around in for a bit. Two backing dancers came on after a little bit. And here's what the enemy online said at the time. So this would have been the very, very early days of the internet. And obviously the enemy were giving updates as to what was happening at the Reading Festival. Kevin Rowland has just left Reading gasping and bewildered after a performance where people are still confused as to whether he is losing his grip on reality or was deliberately and deviously making a splash for his new album of cover versions right so that makes it seem like he's done this mad performance right mm, it's absolutely yeah. like what did he do and you sort of go well i wonder what happened then wonder what happened the setlist fm says he played two songs and left that is definitely not right he played for about 15 minutes he definitely did you'll never walk alone which is not on setlist fm and I remember watching it and essentially what you got was Kevin Rowland doing his cover songs in a dress, doing a sort of dance on a chair, two backing dancers either side of him for I think about half of it for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. He did address the crowd a couple of times and it was definitely one of the things that people talked about the most over that weekend. People sure. were like, did you see that guy? A lot of people go, no, did you see that guy? Like he just came on like straight after pavement ended. He just came on. And he started dancing around a chair and singing You'll Never Walk Alone. What the fuck was that about? And I was like, that's the guy from Dexy's Midnight Runners. And people were going, is it real? Was it? Fucking hell. That's mad. Like, what What the fuck? And, and people, there's this sort of, the myth again has said that the reaction was 
bad, right? Mm. That it was hostile. I think people people were were laughing around me. They were going, "What the fuck is this?" And it might have been a bit of like derision. People might have been taking the piss, but I wouldn't say it was outwardly hostile, right? Okay. But it but it certainly was a lot of people looking around and going, "I don't know what the fuck is going on here." Um, but Kevin Rowland was interviewed by Tom Robinson on BBC Six. BBC Six Music once and he said about that day on the third song I actually stopped and said look I'm singing to the best of my ability here if anyone next to you is throwing a bottle please stop them and half the audience applauded then we went off and it felt like a triumph it's good that he felt like it was a triumph yes absolutely. they were definitely it, it was not a 50 cent Daphne and Celeste barrage of of bottles and people mm. booing and people going mental but it was certainly maybe even worse it was like People were just literally laughing. At yeah. Him. Mm. Like you say, kind of derisive, kind of mocking laughter in the, in the bewilderment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it got no better at Leeds. Apparently, the Leeds gig was worse. Mm. Um, he said, I was about to go on, and the woman called Marianne Hobbs introduced me, saying, Here's a legend in his own lingerie. And I thought, What the fuck? Mm it threw me to be honest I think Alan McGee thought the confrontation would be punk rock but I didn't want that I'd done all that 20 years earlier so you've essentially got a man doing a very very earnest performance where he is taking these songs that mean a lot to him change the lyrics to even more accurately convey the demons the feelings the heartache the pain the guilt the mental struggle that he's going for and he's chosen to portray himself as honestly as possible and people have gone ah, ha, 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 look at this guy look at him what a dickhead look at him wearing his fucking stupid ah, ha, 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 what an idiot it's not that nice is it really it's not it's not that nice it's incredibly it's frustrating, uh, even, you know, on the outside looking in, you know, I'm not Kevin Rowland, I didn't do this, but I can't imagine, given the decades that preceded this album, the things that he went through, how heartbreaking it must be to, yeah, have have people laugh at you for wanting to, I don't know, <coughs> bear your soul and exercise your demons. Mm. I mean, at least he didn't, well, I was going to say, at least he didn't go back to the same old fair, but I would imagine all of the post-Reformation Dexy stuff sounds very much like old Dexies in the same way that, you know, Rivers Cuomo has retreated to making bad facsimiles of blue after everyone laughed at Pinkerton and after everyone told him that it was fucking shit. Yeah, I mean, that is sort of... <sighs> I mean, we'll get to the aftermath when we get to the aftermath. Yeah, I'm sure, not, sure. That's actually not actually entirely true, but to, okay, to be honest. Okay. But, but you know, yeah. So that album, the it was basically dead mm. a month before it came out. Yeah. Like, it that was it that reaction those reviews that thing it was all in the music press afterwards like look at this nutter what's he doing absolute fucking lunatic and that was it the album's dead i couldn't find many reviews from the time i can find some since but the only one i could find from the time was the enemy mm. who gave it three out of five 
And they say, I'll read as much of the whole thing as I can because it's quite a lengthy one as well. No matter what they say about me, they can't take away my personal personal dignity, sings Kevin Rowland on his cover of The Greatest Love of All. You hope he's right because this is no quiet plea, no everyday flaw. This is someone who still sends grown men starry-eyed and giddy, who has made his comeback amid satin suspenders and no little mockery, who has chosen to bend his talent to some of the most overplayed, contempt-breeding songs on the planet. He scaled down his search for the young soul rebels to to a quest for his own place in the world, producing a record that's poignantly addictive, troubled and troubling. However, you see, however you see it, sorry, the fact remains that this is a collection of songs that the semi-mythical Dexys Midnight Runners frontman claims helped him regain his sense of self after years of substance abuse and mental dereliction. Never mind that tunes like The Long and Winding Road and You'll Never Walk Alone are more often linked with pushing people over the edge into nasty lift Muzak incidents. The whole concept is akin to rifling through the minutes of a self-help circle. Roland still inspires the sort of goodwill that could be banked in offshore accounts and nobody would doubt his rights to make this record. Whether it should be released for the widespread consumption is another matter that unease just grows sure he often sings beautifully even making the ghastly john john jonathan livingston seagull nonsense of the greatest love of all perversely brilliant in a hey let's do the show right here kind of way fleeting moments glint with legendary steel the scarred muttering that starts the record the melodic coughing on daydream believer the sudden vocal clutch at the end of concrete and clay yet unless you have a val dunican fixation this lp could could chill the fiercest ardour. Never meet heroes, runs the advice, for they can only disappoint you. Never patronise them either, for both sides deserve better. Whether noble failure or tragic relic, my beauty is the sound of a collapsing perspective, a judgement shattering. But what does it matter when, what you say about people? Kevin Rowland, he's some kind of a man. As I said, I can't find any other reviews mm. from the era, but I can tell you for a fact, I'm pretty sure Melody Maker didn't really like it very much and thought it was gave it a bit of a kick in mm. q definitely give it a kick in definitely right. i absolutely remember and kevin Rowland in the interviews i've read since have mentioned specifically q and said please put in how much i hate that magazine so <laughs> q i don't i can't find a review anywhere but q were horrible about it mm. another myth of this album is that it only sold 500 copies Yes, that's a, a nonsense claim from Alan McGee, isn't it? Mm. So Alan McGee mentions that as one of the things that killed creation on the excellent Creation Records documentary, Upside Down, mm. which you should go and watch. It is really, really good, but it's just something. So I guess with all that ringing in our ears, Sam, it's time for me to ask you, what do you think of My Beauty by Kevin Rowland? It's rare that I'll ever say... Uh, nice things about the NME, particularly of that era, but I actually think that review is pretty spot on. So, as I've alluded to already, <coughs> a bit like when we did Fly on the Wall, I do think I'm I'm still puzzled as to why that's here, why this is here. Having heard the album and listened to it, uh, I've probably listened to this half a dozen times. It is one of the albums I've listened to most since we've been doing crap pop. Um, because actually, overall, you know, I do think there are issues with it, but I I actually really like this album for the most part. Um. I think I'll start with the, the bits that I really, really like about it because I think they are its main strengths and they kind of encapsulate the whole feel and mood and point of the album. So when The Greatest Love of All comes in, um, there's a kind of strange, dramatic spoken intro, back and forth uh, that is portrayed as a dialogue between Kevin Rowland seemingly playing two different characters, two parts of his psyche. I'm not quite sure what he's going for. And I don't think it portrays him as a great thespian. I don't think that performance is all that good. And it had me a bit worried 
But then as those strings start to swell in, and I think the production of the whole album, all of the strings, maybe it's the 2020 remaster, maybe it sounded awful in 99, I don't know. But it really dragged me in, and I found myself getting really swept up in it. When he properly opens the traps and goes full Kevin Rowland on that, they can't take my personal dignity line, which is a bit clunky, and it is a bit kind of shoehorned in there, as it is on the original song. I don't know, I, I almost felt a little bit tearful, to be honest. I thought it was really quite beautiful. And the same would go for Ragdoll. I think... The, the string overture for that basically sounds like you're still listening to the greatest love of all but when it comes in that choral backing it's got a real kind of gentle brush stroking percussive performance to it i genuinely think it's beautiful does it need to be eight and a half minutes no it absolutely doesn't and i think that is a problem mm. basically on every single track on this album but i think that actually the mantra of self-love and self-confidence that he's presenting as this dialogue that seems to be between himself in 1999 and himself as a child telling him that everything's going to be all right in the end i think that is fucking beautiful and i think that justifies the existence of this album in and of itself just this bit at the five minute mark where he almost in tears says listen it's going to be okay it's going to be okay and this is what we're going to do about it before admittedly going into a slightly bad and mawkish refrain of him going shine i would recommend listening to that song i think it's a bit too long but I think it's great. And I think those are the reasons that I I cannot get my head around this album being here. Because I don't actually think, even when it's a bit naff, I don't think the Daydream Believer cover needs to be there. Because that song is even more ubiquitous than Come On Eileen in British culture. We all know it. And <laughs> yeah. of course it's, you know, and a shit football <laughs> team at this point. Like No mm-hmm. one really thinks of the Monkeys version. Um, I think uh, This Guy's In Love With You and The Long And Winding Road. I mean, Beatles covers are always uh, tricky territory. Not everyone can be a Susie and the Banshees. But... I think it's fine, and I think a lot of this album is fine. Um, but it's Kevin Rowland at the centre of it. I think his performance, in amongst some beautiful production on some kind of, I don't know, all right arrangements, really saves it for me. I really quite like this. I don't think it's a brilliant album at all, but I do quite like this a lot, and it's down to uh, the central figure and the things he's espousing and the way that he's putting them across. As I said when we were talking about Dexys earlier, sorry, I will let you go in a minute, but yeah. Kevin Rowland is not the most technically gifted vocalist, but the way he communicates emotion, I think, is his greatest boon, and I think he does it great, really well on this album. What do you think, Steve, now that I've nattered on for a long time? Um, I think you said a few things that I definitely agree with and a few things that I don't agree with. I think the way it starts, I mean, the greatest love of, of all he adds bits and bobs of kind of there's there's a lot of baroque pop in this but you will add a bit of kind of last of summer wine accordion to it which makes it a bit more dexies some of it is a bit like you say you know muzak Mm. and you think well that's not really that great but again when the chorus comes in Mm. and i think you're right to say like kevin rowlands has poured so much of himself into this Mm -hmm. and He's not a technically great singer, Kevin Rowland. He's not a technically great singer. But what he has is an incredibly unique, very unusual, very instantly recognisable vocal style. Mm. And I think you can tell that when he does anything, anything, even their not particularly great recent album, he does mean it. And I think that bit where he says, you know, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. You say, you know, it doesn't mark him out as a great thespian. I almost feel like those bits are i mean i'm sure he knew he was going to do them but they feel pretty real to me they feel pretty real they don't even feel like acting or anything they just feel like him sort of like a man sort of muttering to himself and Mm. psyching himself up and and i did think you know when he was doing the 
the spoken word bit and the greatest love of all, I was like, yeah, this isn't great. But by the time the song ends, mm -hmm. I was like, I really like this. And yeah. you mentioned Ragdoll. I mean, Ragdoll, on one hand, you could go, oh, it's a bit Jimmy now. It's a bit Crocodile Shoes because it kind of mixes very, very, very pop country with the bombast of this Baroque pop thing and Kevin's funny little croon. But I actually really, really like it as a song. And, you know, you mm. could say eight minutes might be too much, but I was, I think it's such a good song. And I really like him, the refrain, which just goes on and on. And he seems to kind of ad lib a lot over the refrain. And I was like, I could, you know, it's not outstanding. It's welcome. I was, it got to eight minutes and, he, and I did think this, this probably is too long, but it's, I don't need it to go anywhere. Mm. It wasn't too long like, fucking hell mate get finish it come on let's 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 drop this out now let's stop i never felt like that i just remember thinking nothing's really happening but it is good mm. like all the little sort of accoutrement ad-libbed bits are cool you know concrete and clay reminds me of the divine comedy yeah. that daydream yes. believer thing i think like yeah you know like i don't really like daydream believer i think it's a pretty it's a song that's been overplayed so much football fans have ruined it and I don't need a sort of Hovis advert version of it particularly mm. no not really no. I really like this guy's in love with you I think it's a brilliant song he basically does with it what Faith No More did with it a couple of years before and mm. played it really really straight I don't think it's as good as the Faith No More version because Mike Patton is a it's better Faith singer no yes, than, yeah. Kevin, than Kevin Rowland but it's <laughs> a really really great song and it's got some really again the orchestral parts are very subtle and you're right i think the production on this record is is really good mm. like it's not it could have been tinny and processed and false sounding sound a bit embarrassing it doesn't i think he maybe over eggs the long and winding road a little bit too much yeah, yeah. but then <laughs> the, the the second half of it i mean at this point i was like this is pretty good this is actually pretty good when we get to it's getting better and again, it's that divine comedy arch baroque pop thing. And he goes kind of Cockney James Brown at the end of it as well. It sounds like a kind of Cockney gangster. I know he's from Wolverhampton, but he sounds like a kind of Cockney James Brown at the end where he's just mm. sort of ad-libbing like, us and ahs and ah and come on, all that. And I was like, this is great. Mm -hmm. I think I can't tell the bottom from the top, which is a song which I I didn't actually know before. Uh, it's by the Hollies. Hey, I, I wasn't Graham aware of that song. Two there he is Graham Nash yeah on the trot. well done Graham that's <laughs> that's really good mm. I think labelled with love is fucking brilliant I mean that's originally by Squeeze yeah. and the Squeeze version is is great and this is one of the ones where I think he does the most changes on I mean the Squeeze original is about a, a woman who hits the whiskey bottle mm -hmm. and she wants to save the family unit and she drinks to remember and Kevin Rowland changes it to from whiskey bottle to cocaine okay, yep. from the family unit to being a pop singer from drinks to to remember to sniffs to remember and it's just much it's much much darker it's mm. a great song I think the outro is fantastic I think it's really really good I think reflections of my life which starts with the orchestral swell of the greatest love of all yeah. but then morphs into something else much more subtle but is great it's a it's a cover of a, a band called marmalade from the 70s i'd never heard before but i think it's really good it adds in the cover of thunder road by springsteen which is one of my favorite springsteen st songs ever 
and the lyrics are different and I can sort of see why Bruce Springsteen didn't want his song changed so much but I really love this version I'd never heard it until now and I you know his voice is so unique and unusual alongside a song that I am so familiar with with those different lyrics so I just really really enjoyed it um, like I say, I do remember him doing You'll Never Walk Alone at Reading. And I mean, it's got an undeniable chorus, You'll Never Walk Alone, but it's a little bit overplayed. It's the um, same as Daydream Believer. It's football songs now and they will never be anything other than what they are. And that's fine, but they just don't necessarily mm. f- fit for this album. I don't think because yeah. of the, you know, the kind of... Um, but but I, the I think you take... Album. I think you take away You'll Never Walk Alone, which is, you know, uh, you're going to finish it with something big. Yeah. And you get those last... You know, you take that out... That is from track 7 to 11, if we can count Thunder Road, of 12, right? We'll say of 12. You know, there's there's instrumental versions on the, the reissue of Concrete and Clay, and I can't tell the bottom from the top. But say, it used to be an 11-track album without Thunder Road. It's now a 12-track album with Thunder Road, which goes in second from the end. For me, it's getting better. I can't tell the bottom from the top. Label with Love, Reflections of My Life, and Thunder Road, I think are all really good. Like, really, genuinely, I would listen to this again. There are a few albums on our list that I think are just good. Mm. Red Hot Chili Peppers, The Darkness. There are a few that I admire the intention of, even Mm. if I'm not that mad about the music. Metal Machine Music by Lou Reed. Everybody's Rocking by Neil Young. This is maybe the first one that we've done where not only do I like the intention, and I go, you get a pass just because you did this thing Mm. and nobody got it but it was for you and you did that and that was great but not only that i also think the music's really good on it as well and it might be the very first album we've done that i feel like that about so i've got to say not only do i think that this album shouldn't be here (laughs) i think it's actually really good I'm really pleased you said that because I thought I was going to come in and look absolutely mad for enjoying this. I don't think I enjoy it as much as you, weirdly. like I, I think this is mm. really, really... For a crap pop album, I think this is incredibly strong. As an album <laughs> overall, it's not going to be bothering my kind of, you know, best of a lifetime lists, but it, it, mm. it's... So it's an 8 out of 10. It's an easy 8 out of 10. Sure. I mean, I, to be honest, I was thinking 7 um but i'd I'd say you know the the higher end of the out of 10 score definitely i think this is so much better than its reputation seems or the reputation it seems to have been given and again i just still can't really get my head well mate i i mean i gave the (coughs) apparently i gave the the new metallica album 8 out of 10 in the in in metal hammer so i mean if that's an 8 out of 10 this is a fucking 12 out of 10 yeah yeah, this is the downward spiral by comparison (laughs) (laughs) it really is yeah Yeah, man this album's good it's actually it's actually good. I completely uh, agree. I, I think there are... No, is it a good... I think it is a good album. I think there are moments of it that are great. I genuinely think mm. Ragdoll is e- exceptional. I know, like, as I say, I think it is perhaps a bit too long, but you're totally right. Like It's it's a nice space to be in, even if it is just kind of a bit of a warm hug of a song. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. Well done, Kevin Rowland. Well, well done. done, Kevin Rowland. Well done. Rowland was very unhappy with the way that all of this turned out. Understandably. Yes. Mm-hmm. Understandably, right? He blamed Alan McGee for a lot of it, telling the press that they had fallen out. About a year later, in, in the year 2000, he saw McGee talking about it in his book, This Ecstasy Romance Cannot Last, which is a book about creation records that Alan McGee wrote. Mm. And 
he thought McGee was using him to play some kind of music industry joke, which he didn't want to be part of. Um, he told the enemy, he said in his book that he didn't think it was a very commercial album. And I think that's just unbelievable that he said that. I don't think he's released a more commercial album. I feel I was thrown to the wolves press wise without any support. I saw he did an interview last year where someone said to him, was signing Kevin Rowland in the whole poster campaign, was it your last fuck off to the music business? And he laughed uproariously. Uh, Alan McGee came back and said, you know, the relationship between the two of them, the friendship between the two of them was now fucked. And he had been taught that he should never sign your heroes. He said, for a punk rock gesture, it was a fucking expensive one if he thinks that's all it was. We spent 270 grand on the album. We spent another quarter of a million pounds promoting the single and 50,000 on a video that gets shown once on BBC Wales in the middle of the night. So within a year, he was off creation records. Mm. There's not going to be a Dexys follow-up. He was pissed off. The album had flopped. It was all a bit of an embarrassment, according to, you know, commercial and critical standings. Mm. And it wasn't until 2003 before a version of Dexys reformed and released a great hit set, did a bunch of sold out shows. They've come back and they've split up and they've reformed. And they've split up a whole bunch of times since then. And to his credit as well, Alan McGee has U-turned on that opinion that we just sort of talked about a minute ago uh he was interviewed by the guardian in 2010 and he had this to say about the record it's genius roland is a genius i've always said i like that record look the record should have been a million seller it's just people's problem with a guy in stockings on the cover that stopped them buying it but if you just put it on your ipod it's a work of genius bizarrely sweden got it the press said it sold 500 records but that was a q thing i hate that magazine by the way i was alan mcgee can you put that in but um yeah, yeah they said it sold 500 but it sold around 8,000 in sweden alone it sold 20,000 worldwide to go out with that as one of the last things i ever did i'll take that people might say it's a comedy record but fuck them i think it's a classic in 2020, Cherry Red Records reissued the album and it finally made it into the UK album chart, peaking at a fairly respectable, considering it's 21 years since it first was released, mm. fairly respectable number 73 in the charts, which Fair I think play. is all right. Yeah. The reissue came with a new video for the song Ragdoll, mm. which was mimed by his grandson, Rue, who he said, I'm so proud of him. He's been wearing dresses and makeup since he was 13. I think the video for this is great. Yes, I, I completely agree. I Isn't it good? It's a really, really good video. Yeah. It's wicked. Yeah, yeah. It shows the sort of, it starts in 1999 when the song is first released and it's sort of shown. <laughs> Tony Blair um, and the Spice Girls and Robbie Williams. David yeah, yeah. Beckham yeah, and yeah. Oasis and Lads Mags and loads of like mocked up Lads Mags from the time with Kevin Rowland on the front going midlife crisis and, mm. you know, all this kind of stuff. And it sort of shows time fast forward and you see different pop stars, different people, you know, the sort of the, the way that people are, the, the sort of fluidity and the way that people dress and treat their gender now and all that. And, you know, it just shows how much more accepting the world is and should probably would be now, I think, towards mm. someone just wearing a dress. Although, as I mentioned, when you look at people like Sam Smith and Little Nas X and the eye they inspire from idiots oh well mate can you imagine if uh matty healy did something like this yeah exactly the nuclear meltdown mm. kevin roland said i do feel more positive 
uh, someone in the Guardian they asked him, does he feel like he's sort of a role model, or do you think he was, you know he's sort of been vindicated for that? He says, I don't really think about it like this, but I do feel more positive. And funnily enough, I'm really back in touch with my femininity again. Would I still wear these clothes? Definitely, and maybe I do, but I won't go into that, which I think is quite funny as well. Yeah. Would you wear a dress, Sam? Um, yeah. I mean, why not? I bloody would. Girls' clothes are nice, aren't they? Well, I, I, I couldn't get one to fit that me. Tom Dare's got of you. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have. Yeah, I'm actually. That was for Halloween, and Halloween is coming up this weekend as we record. I'm going to a Halloween party on Saturday, Ooh. and I am going Getting again as it'll be the third time I've gone as a as a girl. I'm not going to tell oh, you so who it is. Not Bane. Not Bane. No. Oh, okay. I'm not Bane. I'm not getting my Bane. I'm not doing a Bane costume. Bane is oh, yes. too mas too masculine. Oh, Mr. <laughs> Wang. I couldn't do that all night. But I have got I've got I think I've got a pretty good idea for a costume. Well, you're telling me I think as you'll soon as like we stop it. recording. Okay, I will do. Thank I'll probably you. put it up on the you have to follow me on Instagram to see that. But yeah, do you Ooh. know what? I mean look, I don't think I'm gender bender or cross dressing or any of that stuff, but like I do sort of look at girls' clothes sometimes and go, they've got better clothes. They have got better clothes than us. Oh, mate, I was just having this conversation with a colleague the other day. It's like women's fashion is way nicer than men's. Like we- Men's shoes, especially, the most fucking boring things in the world. I don't need another fucking <laughs> pair of brown brogues, man. Give me some pink, sparkly, like, winkle pickers. Come on. Yeah, we don't get any of that shit. No. None of it. Awful. It's a shame. So, look, I think... It's hard being it's a weak, man, is what we're saying, Yeah. It's oh, very difficult being a straight white man. It's, it's the hardest thing. We are, <laughs> we're, 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 in, we're an endangered species is what we are, aren't we? The great oppressed. We're an endangered yeah. species. We are, absolutely. It's a real shame. And I rate people like Kevin Rowland who are like, mm. I just feel like wearing a dress. I think I'll look nice in that. I used to wear eyeliner back in the day. And my um, ex-girlfriend didn't like me wearing it. Cause she, and she was like, well... It's feminine. And I was like, I don't think it is. I don't think it's feminine. I don't think I look like a girl when I put eyeliner on. Mm. I don't think I look feminine. I just look better. Mm. And I stopped doing it now. And I feel like I'm a bit too old to start going, oh, I'm going to start dressing like a, however I want. I've got to dress more conservatively because I'm middle-aged and pathetic. And people are going, he's having a midlife crisis. But I feel like I might take a leaf out of Kevin Rowland's book and th- start. It's made me go, yeah, you should wear what the f- whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, you, you should. As long as it doesn't hurt other people, do what makes you happy. I mean, look, like you talk about wearing eyeliner. I'm literally wearing some nail varnish right now. I stuck yeah. some on the other day just, you know, because I thought it might look nice, be something a bit different, you know. I did see that and I was fun. quite jealous. I was like, I used to wear a little bit of uh, nail varnish as well. And I don't. I've done it in the colours of uh, Galore by the Saint the Snake Invasion as well. So there we go. Lovely. Yeah, I like it, mate. I do Secret like name. it. I do. Yeah. That's, but you look much better on a Ralph Lauren polo top. Do I? No. Anyway, <laughs> let's rank this fucking album, man. I My mean, Beauty by Kevin Rowland. I think there is only four albums that we can realistically look towards that it can that can sort of stand above it. And mm. one of the, two of them, I think, are probably not really in much of a conversation for it. So the best four albums that we have got on this list, 90... 89, 88, and 87 are One Up Minute by the Red Chili Peppers. It's the best album, apparently, that we've got in our list. Mm-hmm. One Way to Get to Hell and Back by The Darkness is just below that. Baby Woman by Naomi Campbell is just below that. A Chinese Democracy by Guns N' Roses is just below that. We then get Fly on the Wall. I mean, this is 
so clearly better than fly on the wall for oh, a multitude oh, of reasons yeah. so it's one of those four i think mm. and to I... me go on mm, no go on no 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 you go i am going to suggest and i don't know how you'll feel about this immediately i think this should go at 91 and I'll tell you the best I, album. I think so. And I know you love One Hot Minute, and I know you genuinely do. do. You spent a lot of money, a silly amount of money on the LP. For it. <laughs> very, very silly. You really did. <laughs> but, but, um, so I think One Hot Minute is pretty good, despite my um, gripes about the Red Hot Chili Peppers generally, because they are fucking shit, and Anthony Keynes mm-hmm. is an embarrassment of a man. Um, but I look at that, I look at One Way Ticket to Hell and Back. And, you know, even even Baby Woman, less so Chinese Democracy, just for my personal tastes. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like all three of those albums, more or less start to finish. And I like this album a lot, more or less start to finish. I think this has got some genuinely great moments. And I think the intention and the execution behind this album means that I think it just, it just has something... It's just got a bit more to it. There's a certain, I don't know, emotional depth and integrity and honesty to it i think that this album deserves to be lauded more highly than the red hot chili peppers which feels like damning with very faint praise but steve i'm gonna say 91 okay so our number one at the moment is my teenage dream ended by fire abraham Mm. i don't feel great about that in a lot of ways because i think fire abraham is a victim of a lot of things and she's had a hard life and i feel like the context of much of that i know a lot of people have sort of lauded her as this you know bastion of outsider art which i don't think is true i think no. she was trying to make commercial pop music and she just wasn't very good at it and i think all of the stuff that goes towards the creation of that album has is what has put it at number one because if you said to me genuinely what do you think is better my teenage dream ended or i'm not a fan but the kids like it by broken side who are just a horrible band it's just yeah. a shit horrible band musically there's not a lot in it and broken side might go above it which would put that but down to like number four even though it's like number one but the context that surrounds it mm. is really really important now is the context surrounding one hot minute by the red hot chili peppers important like like you say i love that record mm. it's the best red hot chili peppers album easily one way ticket to hell and back by darkness by the darkness that's just a backlash by dumb people who decided that they weren't going to like this thing that was flavor of the month for them for a while so they shot on it and it's not really fair no. but that doesn't make it like you know essential that people go we must go to bat for it one minute, like I say, they looked like they were going to break up. They didn't. They made what I think is their best album, but no one really thinks about it that much. And they're the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Kevin Rowland is a legit legend of British music. Mm-hmm. A really, really interesting person. Someone who got treated very, very badly and was incredibly misunderstood and whose album was forced into tanking before it even had a chance to do anything and when you go back and listen to this yeah you're right the intention's fucking incredible and some of the music is brilliant as well you've got great songs just great songs this guy in love with you this guy's in love with you greatest love of all it's getting better they're, they're just even the long and winding road which is not my favorite Beatles song and it is pretty overplayed admittedly and it's not a great version here but it's a great fucking song 
It's a great song. And you add Thunder Road in there as well. That cover of Thunder Road is brilliant. Mm-hmm. This is the first album we've done on True Crap Pop that has led me to well up a bit. Me too. It's it's yeah. lovely. It is. It's really, really good. And for that reason, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. I think this has to be considered the best album that we've done thus far. And I think... Hence why oh. I'm putting it in at number I'm, 91. I am very, very, very pleased about that. I always think it's quite interesting, the, the two bookends that we've got, just you saying about Far Abraham there being, you know, kind of someone who was <laughs> manipulated and coerced into trying to make this kind of um, uh, cack-handed uh, mainstream pop music. I mean, this is the total opposite of that, isn't it? This is the, the album, the least cynical album I think I've ever, mm. ever heard from a mainstream artist. Like, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's a beautiful album, so... But what are we record. doing next time? Let's hope it's well, a funny one, eh? Well, here's the thing, right? Because I knew that this wasn't going to be a funny episode. We try and make these pretty funny. We try and go like, let's find a funny thing. Let's find, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, let's laugh David, David Crosby. Crosby. <laughs> David Crosby. Or like, let's, get, let's get Cliff Richard's YouTube channel should get us like <laughs> laughing along, right? Or like, oh, look, it's ACDC doing a half hour long promo in a With sort a of, in the style of, Lo- in the style of Looney Tunes. And as soon as this came out, I, th- I thought, well, th- this is not going to be that. And yeah. I did hope for something which was going to just be openly hilarious Stupid. in the aftermath of it. And I thought, well, if we don't get that, maybe we'll we'll be able to get something serious. What I didn't want, what I really, 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 really didn't want was to get an album which is just absolutely mind-numbingly boring with nothing to say about it. But the results may vary. That's why, oh God, oh, 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 the the joy of pulling results may vary out of the hat in comparison with this. Hence why I'm pretty gutted that next week, or whenever we choose to do this again in the next couple of weeks, our next episode will be Memories Do Not Open by the Chainsmokers. Oh, dearie me. I have never listened to them. Uh, they always uh, played at like Microsoft and Xbox events, and they just seem like the, mo- the most fucking wet band in the world. Oh, they really are. They really, really, um, really oh, are. Oh, the debut studio album as well. I'm sure they debut were fully album. formed by that out. point. Ooh. Oh. Ooh, blimey. Still, uh, it's almost twice as good as uh, The Fragile, according to Pitchfork, so maybe there will be something to look into there. No. I mean, look how much it's sold. That's absolutely insane. Yeah. Fucking hell. Featuring... All this and more next time. All this and more. Let's have a look at the pitchfork. Oh, my goodness me. Anyway. Oh, my lesion. All right. Well, anyway, we'll see you in a a couple of weeks, probably. We'll be talking about the Chainsmokers. Big time. Big time. Only need to listen to that once. Maybe not even that many times. Maybe (laughs) as many times as I'm going to listen to the new Blink-182. I don't know why I'm talking like that. Not sure why I'm talking like that. It doesn't feel right that I should be talking about that like that in this particular instance. Anyway, we're going to go now. So have a nice time. Thanks very much for listening to the podcast. If you want to suggest any more albums that we may not have in the hat, Mm. because somebody, few people have over the last few months, we, we have had a few that we've added in as well. And um, 
do 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 that because obviously there are probably a lot of pop albums that weren't initially originally in there that I might want to add to it. And when you know it was, it's about four years since we started putting this together nearly nearly four years since i started putting that list together so you could probably do with a few more additions as well so if you want to do that please do that please please i need your help (laughs) i really need your help help. all right good see you later everyone thanks very much for listening Bye. bye